said, give me a hell yeah. I said, give me a hell yeah. everybody this is double g for the fight game podcast coming tonight after wwe's hell in the cell uh pay-per-view bringing on an old friend jason hagholm what's up man not too much double g just finished watching this uh pretty interesting pay-per-view definitely the two cell matches were worth everything there was a little bit of bumps in the road but it definitely wasn't hell uh to watch this pay-per-view the, the pay-per-view uh, ended with a bang, and, and we'll probably lead off with that. Though, the main event with Shane McMahon and Kevin Owens was probably not the best match uh, of the evening, and that would probably go to the opener. But uh, actually, let's, ta- let, let's, let's talk about the main event, because I, there was a few things that I got out of this match. And, and I started to feel this way with uh, the Raw-branded pay-per-view from, from last month. Uh, which saw them, you know, basically give you matches that could have been on WrestleMania, you know, if, if they wanted to build that way. So that that felt like an important show. But it was kind of weird that it was just on this random Raw pay-per-view. Uh, some of that could have been because they were ending the quarter in September. Um, and that, you know, they, they always want to end strongly so that they can hit, you know, whatever the, the goal is for their quarter, their quarter end numbers. But then... Um, with this show, knowing what was in the main event, knowing that it was Hell in a Cell, uh, they went about a half an hour over the normal time, and the main event in of itself uh, felt like another big show main event, right? You have Shane McMahon, who you know is going to do something crazy. He's been in this blood feud with Kevin Owens, which uh, highlighted by Kevin Owens busting Vince McMahon open with a headbutt. So lots of things going on in this show, and then you look and you go, okay, like it's in the Hell in the Cell, you know, it sh- maybe it should be at, Su- at Survivor Series, maybe it should be at Royal Rumble, whatever, but it seems to me like, you know, maybe that they're trying to make these monthly pay-per-views instead of being so throwaway, maybe they think it's going to help their network number. Uh, do, what do you think about just that idea of making the brand pay-per-views uh, more special? Well, I mean, they obviously have to because, you know, especially right now, it's tough sledding to really gain an audience, uh, especially the sports fan audience, because obviously you're in the heat right now. We're getting into the middle of NFL season just before, you know, it a couple weeks away, uh, the NBA is going and we all know how impactful the NBA is and uh, the NHL just got underway. So it's going to be it's really important for them to make you give a damn why you're going to spend a Sunday evening watching a WWE network pay-per-view when, you know, there's other options or other outlets and other things that you can go out and watch. And I think so far they've done a pretty good job, especially the last two. Like you said, I really did enjoy, uh, parts of this one. And and you know what it's me, you know, the middle of the shows can maybe lack a little bit, but if your matches that you're advertising heavily, uh, deliver and, and then some, I think everyone goes home happy. And I think that's what we felt, uh, with tonight's pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. 
this this show featured uh, the main event, like we're going to talk about right now, uh, and then and then another Hell, Hell in the Cell match, and that and those were you know some of the the better promoted matches, and and even more so above uh, the title match, which which we'll talk about because I have some I have some thoughts on that as well, but. Um, I tweeted earlier that uh, this show, based off of this match, the main event match, well, I don't think it was a great wrestling match, you know, per se, but it felt like an important match. It felt like a nice blow-off to something that fans have been watching now for some time with this feud between Shane and Kevin Owens. And it just felt important. Like, it felt like... Uh, these guys really didn't like each other. It felt like there were stakes involved. It felt like there was um, drama. Like there was a couple times when they were both out on sitting on top of the cage uh, when Owens teased throwing McMahon off the cage where I kind of held my breath for a second. I was like, holy, like th- they, this better not happen, right? So Shane, Shane's a daredevil. Like I would be so scared on top of that cage like that just even coming close to the edge, you know, and then him being teased, thrown off it that way. So just overall, uh, what were your thoughts on it about just kind of the feel of it? it? It just felt like a main event and you don't always get that with WWE shows these days. Well, it definitely felt like an important main event. I thought, you know, with WWE, everything comes down to the whole package. I mean, the match is important and what you do in that contest to deliver is important, but the video package beforehand really helped set up the match. I mean, that really this feud had technically started back at the superstar shakeup in, in April. And, you know, we really hadn't, I guess, you know, paid enough attention or noticed, but you know, they were really dropping the seeds about that with, uh, you know, Kevin Owens feeling dissed that he wasn't even drafted to SmackDown in the original draft. And and just, you know, it felt definitely like that because of the pacing of this one where we weren't just going to the big spot for the sake of the big spot, especially up on the cell. We were trying to build to it, make these uh, these spots and these events and these uh, uh, huge spots impactful and important. And I like to see that in these matches. I mean, it shows the pro that obviously Kevin Owens is knowing the, the importance of timing and uh, selling and, and taking the big moves and really selling for Shane because there's been times when Shane's been put in these scenarios, but the matches come out flat because uh, guys don't react well to Shane's offense and Shane maybe becomes <laughs> a little too too poorly with his offense, but Owens really added to the element of how how solid and how uh, frustrated Shane was with the comments. Not frustrated, but angry, and you know had a visible blinding rage towards Kevin Owens. Right. So this match definitely had that big match feel. I mean, it just shows how much money I think Kevin Owens and how you know sympathetic a babyface Shane McMahon is as well, and just how uh, a huge important heel Kevin Owens is. I mean, he's not the typical WWE guy, but you know none of that matters anymore. I, I don't even feel like he's a typical heel either because there is, and, and, and this goes back to um, you know just being a heel one hundred and one is that you know you you believe in your own truths, and there's also some truth to what you're saying now not not all of it but you know going back to where he was saying like you know he was frustrated that that he wasn't picked and 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 that they don't really think very highly of him and that's how you that that that's real like if this were a real NBA draft right like you, you know you follow the NBA enough to know that you know when Malik Monk gets picked uh by Charlotte 
that he really wanted to go to the Knicks in, in, in the spot above, uh, you know that um, uh, Draymond Green can actually name every single uh, forward who was picked ahead of him in his draft. So, like, that is meaningful to these guys, and that's the part of this uh, this whole angle that I think is very smart because the crux of it started with with a, a, a lack of respect or a feeling of, of being disrespected. And for somebody like Owens, whose character... Like you said, he's not the the prototypical WWE superstar, and he has that little edge to him. And I, and I'm sure a lot of that is real. And he's had to face this uphill battle, um, you know, for his whole career because he just doesn't have the body. He doesn't really think that he needs it, um, and, and you know, it's not that important to him. But he's been able to overcome just you know the stereotypes and stuff. So that part of it is real, and it feels real. But I do wonder. Does it turn him babyface, or should it turn him babyface? Because the the actual um, the story behind his frustration is, I think, um, very uh, parallel to how others have felt. Maybe you know, maybe you get overpassed for a job, or or you know, some girl likes somebody better than you, and she leaves. Like that is is something that I think speaks to a lot of people. I almost feel like he should be a babyface. Well, I think they'd be missing the boat if they didn't have Kevin Owens as the heel. I mean, I think the thing, though, with heels is their point of view is really the babyface side of things. It's just there's the other charismatic good guy around that just uh, averts you from that opinion. Um, But, I mean, like I said, I love Kevin Owens. I think what he does is so great. And him being in the role that he is in is is so impactful. and I think the ending of this match, which I think we'll get into in a second here, uh, does wonders for a man this man has had feuds with in Kevin Owens. Right, right. So uh, just uh, I want to I want to name a couple of the, of the the spots as they happen. So um, I think the, the right when I right when the match started to um, to to really you know draw me in was when Owens went for the pop-up powerbomb and Shane caught the arm, and it looked like he was going to armbar him, but he transitioned to the triangle. I thought that was really well done. And usually, you know, I think Shane kind of deadweighted him a little bit, which made it a little hard to, to for it to look smooth. But it looked like a fight, right? It looked like a struggle, and I thought that was really good. Um, and, and, yes, I did like that better than the capoeira kick to start off the match. Oh, man, the capoeira <laughs> kick was, like, so out of place. Just, uh, and then when Tom Phillips was like, Shane McMahon is an elite MMA striker, <laughs> I was like, what? Um, and then, I mean, it, it only got it, – it got really intense from there. Like, um, you know, he had uh, – Owens had Shane in the corner perched up against that table and then did the, can, the, the running cannonball move and – and Shane moves out of the way, and Owens just hits that table so clean, breaks it right in half. It looked it looked amazing. Um, and what was the other what was the other thing? Well, I mean, the stuff on top of the cage, I, I thought they were probably up there a little bit too long. But I, I understand it, it was what you said earlier, which is you know they were trying to do the slow build into the crazy finish, and, and I think it worked. But man, it did not look fun taking power bombs and spinning neck breakers and all whatever they were doing up there like that 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 did not look very fun at all um and then we get we get you know as as we get get to the finish they uh owens you know basically owens just wants to you know do the dive off the top of the cage and and put shane through a table and just sort of end him 
but he can't do it. Like he's fighting with himself on top of the cage. He's both scared. He's, he's also, you know, called Shane, you know, bunch of different names for being basically a glorified stunt man. Um, but it reminded me of, uh, of the mall rat scene where, um, Jay and silent Bob, uh, silent Bob, you know, he, he, uh, he's, he's at the top and he's about to fly and he, he has the little Batman wings and, uh, and Jay starts screaming, fly fat ass fly. That like, that's literally what I thought about when Kevin Owens was at the top of that cage. Um, and then, and then so that, so then they, they fight up there for forever and then they both start climbing down. Kevin Owens is like, forget this. I'm going down. He and Shane climb down and Kevin Owens then, uh, gets knocked against the cage and he flies backward and goes through the, through the table. And so that's not good enough for Shane. Like he could literally just pin him right there and it's match over, but no, he drags Kevin Owens, dead body over to the other table, the middle table. And he puts Kevin Owens on the middle table and he goes back up to the top of the cage to then dive down just like he did against The Undertaker. And I, I was at WrestleMania uh, 30, uh, 30, uh, 32. And so I saw this like happen, like, you know, to, to see that happen in, in real time is, is, is pretty ridiculous. And it was it was like the same thing. It was like the same way that he dove, he crossed himself Undertaker moves out of the way. This time, though, Owens moves out, but it's because his best friend and worst enemy, Sami Zayn, pulls him off. And not only does Sami Zayn pull him off, but Shane is, you know, ready to be taken back in a stretcher, but Zayn makes sure that Owens does cover him to get the win. So that was a lot of play-by-play there, but what were some of your favorite things about this I think really the match escalated a lot when they got up on the cell. Um, first of all, I was concerned Shane wasn't going to get the lock because there was a little bit of stalling there that I think they weren't expecting. <laughs> the bolt, like yeah, the cut, bolt cutters. He couldn't get yeah, the, bolt, the cutters. bolt cutters. He couldn't get the lock, and like he was really struggling with that. And I was just like, well, one, Shane, the babyface, now looks like an idiot for not just making the ref unlock the thing, yeah. <laughs> like just unlock it. And so when they did that cut back there to Kevin Owens in the ring selling, I'm like, I don't think they were planning on that one, but uh, good thing that they did that. Um, yeah, I, I definitely like the cannonball spot. Like I've never seen a table just explode like that. But then I also like the logic from Shane to just use this bit of table that's now hanging around and start beating Kevin Owens up with it. I like that logic about it. Um, and I just like overall how when they were up on the cage and, you know, trying to, you know, look like Kevin Owens is going to throw him off. And then when they started to climb down and the fans were booing, I'm like one insane. <laughs> like, like they're not like they're people. Yes. Um, so like taking consideration that, uh, but then it's like Shane kills himself for the people just for the fact of gotta have someone dive off this thing. And so, yeah, when Sammy Zayn came out there, like I, I spotted him right away. I was like, Sammy Zayn was the one that did that. So I was very, I'm very intrigued about that because, you know, they've done a great job of crossing over the ROH feud between these two guys into NXT slash WWE. And now they get to be reunited. And if anyone could have ever needed a, a boost or a jump start, it's Sammy Zayn. Like this guy needs a heel turn. Like he could, there's so many ways you can go with this that they can be repaired up again. Um, I, I'm all for uh, potentially a Sami Zayn heel turn. Do, do you continue the feud with Shane? Who does Shane bring in? 
to to fight these guys. Like I I, I think it makes uh, Tuesday night show uh, very intriguing because you definitely want to see what happens. I'm just trying to think back, like who's on the depth of that roster who they could they could bring over and 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 you know have 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 them feud with. Like I, uh, that's the part where I'm trying to where I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm having a hard time figuring it out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, these Hell in a Cell matches, they really build up as the blow off. I mean, I don't know where you can go with the New Day and Usos again. They said that's the blow off and the heels end up winning there. And I'm spoiler alert, but uh, I don't know. Like there is that's always been Smackdown's issue with it being the two hour show. There's not enough depth and it doesn't make a lot of sense right now, at, at least for the time being for the their next pay-per-view to have. Shane be involved or something like that. If anything, you could just have Owens and Zayn kind of run roughshod over SmackDown. And then in uh, the December show, uh, someone gets involved and then we can start building up programs there as we head into the new year where we get back on that road to WrestleMania. Um, if I have one nitpick with this match and, and really like it's just me literally being nitpicky because they did everything that they needed to do. But... The fact that um, in the match, uh, or I'm sorry, in, in the build, that you get blood on TV, but then you can't get blood in the pay-per-view, I think if there was blood in this match, it would have just intensified everything. And so I get the idea of doing the color because it makes Kevin Owens look like the worst human being on earth to... to you know, make Vince McMahon bleed. But I thought it would have just added so much more drama, you know, on top of what they already did without it. And I thought it would have just been that much better if they could have had a little bit of blood in this match. Yeah. I mean, I can see where you're coming from in that one. And I mean, that's obviously their policy right now, but uh, they didn't do it. I mean, the match totally didn't miss it, but I think it would have definitely been uh, a nice addition to this match. I mean, it's supposed to be, important blow off and like pretty much uh a super violent a few that's taken that super violent turn i think it could have really used it i mean it adds more i think for sure shane could have been busted open here i mean shane being bloody uh in front of his family that just adds so much more sympathy for him instead of kevin owens doing the shane mcmahon dance which by the way his kids did not sell they just laughed as he was doing this (laughs) but uh yeah i think totally the blood would have helped here Uh, it would have added for more of the sympathy for shane and just how these men were trying to just bring each other to the death it's like uh, that big culmination in the movie where your hero's trying to chase and get the bad guy and they're finally having their standoff and, uh, you know, the bad guy gets got or well, not in this case, but uh, you get the drift. So let's actually go backwards rather than go back to the first match. Let's just go backwards through the card. Um, unfortunately for Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler, they had uh, – they had the the match in the placement of where everybody was like, oh, you know, it's time for Shane and Owens. And then they go, oh, wait, there's still this match. Because the pay-per-view, like I said, it went over by half an hour. So by the time these guys were in the ring, it was already like, you know, 7.35 or 10 or, or um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, so it been 10.35 for you. So it was already like to the point where you're like, okay, it's main event time. So these poor guys come out and it's like, uh, we forgot that this match. So they, they, they didn't really have, um, they didn't have a great chance here. The crowd was really dead. 
the fact that this Dolph Ziggler thing hasn't worked, I, I think has actually hurt Bobby Roode a little bit because uh, he, he came in, you know, he, he's supposed to be one of the guys coming from NXT, kind of hot off of NXT, and then he gets put in this feud, and Ziggler cannot be colder as a wrestler than he's ever been in his whole life. So that that hurts this program. They didn't, I mean, they didn't really do too much. They didn't have a lot of stuff going on. And then the finish was just them rolling each other up and grabbing each other's tights. It, it was not that it was good. Boring. It was silly. It was boring. And we just didn't want to see it because we wanted to see the main event. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where they're going with Dolph Ziggler. It's like anything this guy feuds with from NXT just kills all the momentum and that it come, that you come over with. Like, let's look at Shinsuke Nakamura. He's coming in from NXT hot, has okay matches with Dolph when they could be 10 times better. And same situation here for Rude, which was also – Bobby Rude was also a guy. Great personality, great character. Uh, some maybe felt that he lacked a little bit in some of those matches that they were a little bit boring, but uh, nonetheless, I was in, uh, enjoying his work. But making Bobby Roode the babyface uh, coming into Smack <laughs> is like, do you not get this character? Like, that's wrong. And then, yeah, the match was a lot of rest holds. Like, I thought Dolph Ziggler turned into Randy Orton's uh, miniature version. Um, yeah, just not a good match at all. And then, like, not only does Bobby Roode get the roll-up victory right after that, we hit the zig- Ziggler hit the zigzag. So it was like, well, what's the point in that? Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, it was almost like they knew that there's going to be, you know, another one or two matches between the guys and they need them both for SmackDown. So Ziggler got a little bit, you know, but it, it, I thought I thought it was really pretty silly, too. It was that, you know, that 50 50 stuff that that pretty much never works, but they keep doing it. Um, so in their ways. So the the Nakamura and gender match, I know you previously have been a fan of gender. And so you and I haven't actually caught up about this. So I'm uh, what do you think about his run so far? And I, I think it's now we're going on what four months or so. Four or five months, yeah. I think he when he wanted to win the title, May. I think someone said it was like 120 days or something like that. So he's been champion a while, and like I like the buildup of the faction with the Singh brothers and Jinder. I'm I like Jinder as the champion. But to sacrifice Jinder's run just to build up the Indian market for Shinsuke Nakamura, who's like the best guy in the company right now, is just insane. Like, I, you're almost getting to the point like, well, they've kind of wasted Nakamura, so let's move on. And that's not good for uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, the, the in-ring competitor, but also WWE, the brand for Japan, because that's an area where they could really market themselves a little bit more. And they're really trying to market themselves into that Asia area as well. So, uh, not been impressed with these matches either. And it's like, Ginger just seems to be getting colder and colder right now. Like, uh, his promo a couple weeks ago, pretty much the whole racist promo where they had to like take it back for what he said. I mean, that's... There's just going there's just no real direction right now, but it's like who else are they gonna build up to take the title off Jinder? Because it seems like once you get in a program with Jinder, you're stuck with him for like three months and then you're left off worse than when you entered the feud. The the problem that I have, well, there's a couple of problems. Now, I think most people who kind of follow this stuff knew that 
Jinder was going to win because they want to go into India with him oh, yeah. as, as champion because they're touring. I think they have a couple of shows in December. So that kind of gave away the finish unless they were going to do a quick title win for Nakamura and then Jinder gets it back maybe at Survivor Series, something like that. But um, otherwise, you know, that you, we know that he's going to be champion into those months. Now, for Nakamura, who came in as maybe the single hottest NXT guy so far, they have done such a poor job with him. It, it's, it's kind of frustrating because now think about the finish of this match. So basically the whole idea with Jinder as champion is he is able to continually retain his title because he has his buddies, the Singh brothers, who will interfere and who will, you know, uh, obscure the referee and do all of those things, and that helps him win matches. In in this case, they have nothing to do with the finish because he uh, the referee sends them out. Now, so, someone may say, well... You know, he did uh, – there was a spot in the, in the match where, where uh, Nakamura does the kin, uh, Kinshasa and Jinder is knocked out and he goes to, to cover and the Singh brothers are still kind of like not – have not left yet. So the referee's kind of tied up. But Jinder is, is, is like almost underneath the rope. So that didn't really matter that they, they tied up the ref. He, all he had to do was reach out with his hand and grab it. So that's not even uh, – um, you know, that doesn't mean anything to me as a fan because I was like, oh, he's just going to grab it anyways. Like, no, but that, that, that didn't stop him from grabbing it. So then with no Singh brothers outside the ring, uh, Nakamura escapes the Cobra Clutch Slam and then sets up for the Kinshasa again, gets outsmarted by the heel, bangs his knee on the turnbuckle, and then gets hit with, with the Cobra Slam and is pinned. Just like it... Just is right in the middle of the ring. No, nothing ha- like Nakamura is just a regular guy now. Yeah, and that's the problem here. Nakamura has the most charisma. He's the, the most naturally talented wrestler that the WWE has. He's got the best entrance, and they're just making him a dude. That's yes. like gonna go you know, challenge for the U S title with Baron Corbin. again. <laughs> so like, I mean, that's, that's just missing the boat. And like I said, they're sacrificing solid talent for gender and building up this India market. Uh, so the next, the, the match before that would have been Charlotte and Natalia. And it definitely looks like this is kind of, a um, a beginning, I guess you would say uh, of their feud or a continuation of the mini feuds that they've had. But, um, they didn't do a title change. Um, they had Natty uh, work on Charlotte's knee for the whole match. Charlotte still goes up to the top rope to do uh, to, to do the moonsault, which she um, she does it almost too well that it's almost impossible to catch her because she's so big. And poor Natty had to try and catch Charlotte in full like flight, and uh, I think she she may have stop some of Charlotte's momentum and Charlotte lands on both of her feet uh, on the moonsault anyway. So, uh, it just, it, it looks very graceful in the air, but I can't imagine for one person that that's easy, an easy catch job. Um, and so then Natty just attacks her with a chair. So there's the disqualification and the feud must continue. Um, but it really did like the way that they built this, uh, this feud up, it made it feel like, Oh, you know, 
this is for Rick and and Rick is you know going to be good and, and and she's got to win it for Rick and then it was just like yeah well I guess we'll save that for the next pay-per-view but you know the one thing is is um there there has been the rumor that 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 the four horsewomen will face the four horsewomen at Survivor Series now we haven't seen any build towards that at all but if that happens at Survivor Series then that stalls this feud I guess uh at least on pay-per-view because then Charlotte will will be in in the in the elimination match if that's where they go. So I I don't I don't really know what the point is uh, of of this feud unless Charlotte then wins it on SmackDown and that kind of sets sets up something. But yeah, it was just kind of there. And they've had really good matches. I think they had the one in NXT and then they had another good one. It might have been at like one of the Road Hard pay per view. It was Roadblock. Roadblock. Yeah, the Roadblock pay per view. That was another good match. Yeah, this one was like I said. You said all right. I wasn't super into it. Um, I did think when Charlotte went for the moonsault uh, from the uh, top rope to the floor, when she landed on her feet, I was like, "Oh, some Sid Justice stuff's gonna happen!" Right? Like <laughs> one leg is just gonna shatter when she comes down like that. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess they're planning for this one to continue. Not sure though what the, what the official plan is gonna be. I mean, if. I mean, the plan is to continue this, sure, but, you know, the, all the hype and build that they had for the four horsewomen of WWE versus the UFC four, four horsewomen, um, I guess they could do that. I mean, that's their big goal, but who knows if they can even get Ronda and, and them in. But, uh, yeah, this was there, but, I mean, I could – I don't see them switching titles on SmackDown, if anything. Uh, if anything, I would expect, like, Charlotte to not win the title until maybe just around the Rumble. Hmm. Yeah, that, that could definitely happen. Um, Ty Dillinger was added to Baron Corbin versus AJ Styles. And uh, I'm assuming he was added into the match, or I'm assuming that he was always expected to be added into the match, but they wanted to save it as a surprise since he did beat Corbin. Um, and I think he was added so that it would be a better match, but um, it was just it was just kind of there until the finish. It was kind of boring. Um, I thought that Corbin, Corbin to me, is looking a lot like uh, Kane. Like, 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 it's almost like they've told him to even slow down more and not do anything explosive. Like, I noticed it in some of his punches. I noticed it in the way that he took the top rope when uh, AJ pulled it down. Um, it's, it's almost like they're trying to make him uh, wrestle more like a, a bigger guy and, and slow it down. I don't know if that's good or bad. I think for Kane, it was good because Kane had had a, a lot of presence and he was like very like a half machine, so he's kind of mechanical. Um, but Corbin uh, doesn't have that charisma, doesn't have that presence, so it just made him kind of more boring than he already is. Um, and Dillinger was okay, but it was sort of like um, I don't know. I, it felt a little big time for him, and I'm not sure if he really you know took the brass ring as Vince McMahon would say, but. You had AJ in there to tie it all together. And AJ, as we get towards the end, he hits a phenomenal forearm um, on, um, on on Dillinger. And then Corbin comes, and I think he was supposed to big boot AJ so he could take the top rope over the top rope bump. But he kind of kicked him in the stomach. And so it was like the way that AJ sold it was like really weird because he kind of like fell backwards, but he didn't go through the ropes. 
And because of that, then Corbin just had to kick the shit out of him just to make sure that he went through. I was like, oh, man, that did not look like a, a good way to fall. And then Corbin then steals steals the pinfall from AJ to win the title. Yeah, I did enjoy the exchanges between Ty Dillinger and AJ Styles. I thought they worked some solid stuff. Uh, not sure where they go with Ty Dillinger going forward. Uh, he seems like a guy that maybe figuring out what they can what the company seems like they can figure out what they can really do with him uh but him just begging to be put in matches i mean that's just a loser character right there like you're not even good enough to be put in the championship match you have to plead your case why you should be in these matches um i'm okay with corbin getting the duke here uh i think you know corbin winning he's he's a solid heel right now the fans legitimately don't like him he may be boring sure uh but i do find his promos very entertaining and the loss here for aj it's good because maybe aj is now the guy they can put in that championship spotlight again uh rusev and randy orton had the uh the spot after the opener which was such a good match and immediately i started to see on twitter like oh god here we go randy orton and for the for what they were supposed to do which is bring down the crowd a little bit and have like just a very solid wrestling match i thought it was really pretty much perfect for for the role um rusev is great he's underutilized he's such a good wrestler he's such a good character um you knew he was probably gonna lose this match which he did but i thought they set up the spots really well of rusev trying to get to the accolade and orton trying to hit the rko and then oh they looks like rusev slipped out of the rko gonna hit the accolade nope orton scoots under the under the legs hits the rko and wins the match like talk about like like uh, I think Rusev is going to win that one Wrestling Observer Award, uh, most underrated of the year or whatever. Because like the guy is so great and he's just in programs that don't really go anywhere. Um, they took away his main squeeze and they've they've hurt both characters by doing that. Uh, but I th- he still entertains me and I still look at him and go, man, there's so much potential in this guy. And you know, Randy Orton's Randy Orton. He's going to be smooth at everything he does and. And uh, he's going to give a solid effort. But in, in this case, I thought it was pretty much exactly what they needed after that opener. Yeah, I agree. I like the transitions in the work that Orton and Rusev had uh, on Ken. I get my finish on you. Like, I loved when Orton went to slam the mat to set up the RKO and Rusev just rolled on top and tried to set up the accurate And then uh, Orton used the backdoor escape and got the RKO. I thought that was quite brilliant instead of just your basic – Randy Orton hits the RKO goodnight Rusev type stuff. It was uh, unique, different, and it's something that Randy Orton definitely needs to be involved in is something unique and different a little bit. I mean, he's he's just such a solid wrestler right now. Uh, I mean, always has been. But, I mean, he's he just in these programs as well that since coming off the gender feud where it's like we like Randy Orton, but we don't really care and aren't that emotionally invested here, especially with Rusev. Like I totally agree. I think Rusev is such a great big man Haas type wrestler, physical brawler type style. And then taking away Lana was one of the worst things for him. Um, they tried that once and they didn't work. I don't know why they think they would have to work it again that taking him away on SmackDown. So uh, not sure we go with Rusev, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with Randy Orton here. Um, no title contention for him for sure. But I mean, he did make that comment on the Edge and Christian podcast. That he was tired of this baby face BS. Yeah. So, I mean, 
who knows if you can maybe turn Orton heel down the line because he works so much better as a heel. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, and then we get to the to the opener, which is uh, what I think was the best match uh, of the show. But if someone said that they thought the main event was better, fine. It's you know opinion. I, I wouldn't fight it that hard. But um, they they came out and they wanted to steal the show. They utilized the Hell in the Cell as um, as the sort of brutal attraction that it's supposed to be. Probably better than any Hell in the Cell match in quite a long time. Um, it was a tornado tag match, so you know they, it was just chaos the, the whole way through. They used um, a really good use of of the foreign objects or the or, or the plunder. Um, the, the, there if was you a wheel. There there was a little a little comedy early on when, when the New Day pulled out their plunder and it was like a symbol and uh, and uh, the trombones and and stuff. Uh, but then the Usos, I thought did a really good job of like turning this from like, okay, this is not comedy. Like this is really serious. And, um, they, there was this one, there was this one spot though, where, uh, who, who was it? Jay or Jimmy who got put in the corner and they had the, the kendo sticks put between the, the, the cages in the corner so that he was trapped. I think it was Jay. I'm just going to take a guess. Like I have so much more difficulty t- telling them apart since they've taken the face paint away. I know. I know me too. And and so that like they literally trap him, and so that was like really cool. I was like, wow, we'd never seen that before in a Hell in a Cell match. And then there was another spot where they handcuffed uh, Xavier Woods, and they uh, they took his arms and they draped it over the ring post, so he was kind of like hanging from from the ring post by uh, by the handcuffs. And they were just like whacking him with kendo sticks, and that I mean that looked not fun at all. And there's you know there's sort of visuals there that that was kind of weird as I was watching it but um they really utilized sort of the brutalness uh, of what this match should be in in a really good way and again would have probably worked a little bit better if they were allowed to to bleed but just brutalness all the way and finally the Usos uh, pin Xavier Woods with the double the double superfly splashes uh, and they they draped a chair over him so when they hit their splashes they actually splashed the chair onto him at the same time um, just really really good stuff and and that program um, probably uh, I don't know is it, are are they the one of the two or three best feuds in in, in WWE all year long I feel like they do nothing but uh, have really solid matches and then in this case uh, a great match. Well, I think they've had at least two great matches. I thought they had the best match in all the SummerSlam, even though it was on the pre-show. Uh, I thought they just absolutely killed it, got the crowd hot right for the SummerSlam pay-per-view. And, you know, they start things off tonight. And um, to your point on, you know, using the weapons and, and using the structure as a way we haven't seen in a while, I felt this match had that that eerie dark feel to it that it hasn't had in a while. I mean, now that they have a annual pay-per-view built around, it's really hard to, to just make use of the cage for the scenario that you needed to do that. And they really did like that spot where you were talking about with the Uso pin with the, the kendo stick. I mean, that was pretty insane and dark, like was not expecting to get that kind of violence in this match. Um, and then when the Usos, you know, they brought out the handcuffs and Xavier Woods was handcuffed and he was like trying to fight through on the Usos with his hands cuffed. I thought that was pretty insane. And just how he was getting whipped, like 
on the with the kendo sticks uh, on the against the ring post. I mean, that was something like straight out of Sons of Anarchy uh, <laughs> or something like that. So uh, really like the edge this match had to it. And then, you know, the Usos winning, I feel, is the right thing. But this is the blow up and the heels win. I mean, sometimes that's not the worst. So I just don't know where you go tag wise with this one, because, uh, I mean, do the New Day now get into this feud with the hype bros who are bickering or do we get the Usos and uh, Gable and Benjamin, which would I mean, well, those would be great matches. Just really hard to come back after such a solid feud uh, that the New Day and Usos have had. What do you think comes out of uh, the fashion files? I, I think they just find ways to make it continue. It's <laughs> like they don't have any booking plans for them in matches. They just like the how funny those two guys are. Tyler Breeze and Fandango are hilarious with this backstage skit. But uh, no one really, I think, wants to see, especially in the company, wants to see them wrestle. Uh, don't see the Fashion Files challenging next, but... Uh, maybe we get that Fashion Files hype bros feud everyone's been asking for. Well, it doesn't look like it's going to be Sanity now because supposedly Sanity is going to be in the main event feud of the next TakeOver show in a three-team war game. So a lot of, there was a lot of uh, rumors that Sanity was going to be the team, but I guess not because they're going to be in the main match at uh, the TakeOver for Survivor Series weekend. Yeah, and that'll be exciting for sure with with the war games, first war games in some 20 years. Nice to see what see what the WWE can do on the spin on one of my favorite and maybe the best gimmick match of all time. So uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Like if somebody didn't watch this show, uh, what would you say? I think I have to give it a slight thumbs up only because of how the two big matches with the Hell in a Cell that they advertised with the New Day and Usos and Shane McMahon and Kevin Owens. They were just they delivered above and beyond. Uh, really, I just say watch the t- those two matches. The rest of this card you could pretty much skip. So I'd give it a slight thumbs in the middle because I love the story work and I love the, the in-ring action and where things can go, I think, is a big part of wrestling. What What happens next? And we still don't know that. So it gives a good reason to tune into Tuesday's show. So I'd give a big I'd slight thumbs up because, as we talked about, the middle of this card was kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think I think I would tell someone to watch it. But again, you know, with the network and you can skip around, you don't have to watch everything. I think that would be a good idea. But I do think that what really makes this, this a thumbs up show is that it makes you want to watch SmackDown on Tuesday to see what happens. And I think that's so important that, uh, you know, they, they don't often do anymore, but they, they, they try, right? Like there was the Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns thing that, that had happened, uh, where Braun wins. And then like Reigns like, uh, runs him into the ambulance or whatever. Like, so they've been, they've been trying to do stuff like that. I think, th- I think just the, the, the problem with it is, is it, it feels so forced, and in this case, because of how important this match was, it was booked so well that you're like, okay, like this isn't just to get me to tune in. Like I really want to tune in. So I think I think that's that's sort of the key to this whole thing. Um, we were only going to really talk about the Hell in Cell, and you know we're kind of through it already. We don't really need to talk much more about it. But there was also a UFC show on Saturday, and I haven't been too keen on the UFC product in 2017. But uh, I thought it was a pretty fun show, and I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on some of the matches and some of the finishes and and uh, and everything because I know you saw it as well. 
And, you know, I, I, I've probably been short shrifting the UFC on my website uh, at, this year, but I, I'm just not really feeling the product that much. Um, but this kind of leads into uh, their biggest show of the year, which is the Madison Square Garden show with GSP and Michael Bisping and um, the, the, the blood feud in of itself with Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw. And then, you know, J- Joanna is, is fighting and she's always must see. So, you know, this is kind of like uh, the, the one pay-per-view that they just had to get through. There were the, the Las Vegas ties. You know, they made it very sort of symbolic and, and, and uh, thoughtful because of the shooting that happened in Las Vegas. I thought that was good uh, part of the show. You know, it just shows that the UFC, which often can come across as a little callous to situations, uh, especially including their own fighters. But I thought that it was pretty right on what they did for this show and overall like the show was really entertaining like there wasn't a match that you were just desperately wanting to see but it did have a a solid main event with uh, Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee and then you had all the drama with Kevin Lee failing to make weight the first time and just really draining himself and then he comes out with a staph infection on his chest that looked ridiculous and the whole time I'm thinking like Man, all all Ferguson has to do is like throw a punch, and that thing's just gonna burst wide open, and it's gonna be all craziness. But um, really good main event, and there was four submission wins on the show, on the main show, uh, and 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 the, and the one that in which it was not a submission uh, victory, it was a draw, but it was a really good good match. So I, there was really nothing to complain about uh, if you're just looking for watching MMA on a Saturday night. No, it was a very fun pay-per-view, especially uh, – I thought the prelims delivered the goods as well. Um, I didn't get to see all of the prelims. Uh, I started with the television, like the FX card portions. I did miss the John Moraga uh, uh, Bibliotov fight, which I heard Moraga came with a huge knockout victory where that's a guy in the flyweight division, John Moraga, absolutely needing a decisive uh, finish and he gets one. Um, I tuned in just as the you got the Bobby Green Lando Venata fight, and this thing was an absolute bloodbath. Rock'em sock'em robots. Uh, Bobby Green has always been one of my f- favorite fighters to watch because you know you're going to get an exciting contest. You know he's going to get you know on the verge of being finished, and he's going to rally on and make things very interesting. Uh, Venata and Green really brought the goods. It looked like Venata was going to finish Green in the first, uh, but he threw an illegal knee as green was down and that made this fight a 9-9 first round and then it was green just picking away at venata as venata seemed to get a little bit tired uh but the referees decided that it was a draw and i thought that was one of the first times in combat sports where the referee the judges ruled a draw and i was totally okay with it (laughs) i had both guys uh being in a draw in that one uh and then you know we the next fight on the prelims was that I think was the awful women's fight that was on there where uh, one of the, the females was just trying to take the other one down the whole fight and pinned up against the fence and nothing really worked out there. Um, but yeah, the pay-per-view with Evan Dunham and uh, Benel Darush, excellent fight. I thought Dunham was done for, um, but then Darush, uh, you know, he lost his gas tank. He was on E. Dunham is such a veteran, kept fighting on through, and this one was ruled to draw as well. And then we had uh, the 
uh, the Maria Rom- Romero Barella versus uh, Keladrin Farah fight, which no one cared about, but no one even knew. Who, the, no yeah. one knew who they were. Nobody knew who anyone was. They literally just put this fight on the pay per view because they were two women. So, and they need, you know, they had some fights fall through. Uh, they had the Paige Van Zant fight fall through, so they had to put this fight on there. And you know, at least we got a quick finish there from uh, Barella, as you know, MMA is really growing in Italy. So she's an Italian, and it's nice to see, uh, you know, a, another uh, impressive uh, female in the UFC get a victory. And then uh, I think you know when. Um, the next fight with Verdum, and it was supposed to be the Black Beast, Derek, uh, Derek Williams, Derek Lewis, Williams, Lewis. Derek Lewis. Yeah, I don't know what's going on through my head. Yeah, Derek Lewis. Uh, we did not get that. I think we were all bummed about that because I think we thought this was going to be the most exciting fight. Which leads me to one question: You picked. I mean, we didn't get the fight, obviously, but you thought the Black Beast could pull one over on Verdum. Yeah, because. And and I have no way of proving this, so this is just a claim of mine. But since the Usada stuff, like Verdum is just looked like out of shape and sloppy and slow, and I, I, I thought if he was going to get into a slugfest, that he was going to lose the fight. Um, and, and and so you know that 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 was the reason why I picked Lewis. But the the other thing about picking Lewis that's hard is the guys not sure if he wants to fight still and so when when you have guys who kind of talk about retirement and who you know may not all be a hundred percent in that he's also hard to pick but it was just one of those where i was like you know this could be the the one time where you know it's just Vir doom got old but he he looked he looked great i think he you know the, the obviously there was a the difference between lewis and and uh walt harris is, is wider than we probably even thought based on how quickly verdum beat him but that was awesome right because you get to see you get to see verdum do what he does best and when he has the opportunity to do that stuff he's so amazing on the ground it's just like it, it looks like an art form and it was oh. great it was great to see Absolutely, because, you know, I was like, for Verdum to take this fight with Walt Harris is always the risk. Same day, change round. It was some people were tweeting out. It's like nine years, just a couple days after the fact of when Seth Petrozelli uh, ended Kimbo Slice in a, in a similar uh, late fight replacement uh, situation. Only, you know, with Walt Harris did not beat Fabricio Verdum. And if that were to happen, uh, the promotion would not die like you would <laughs> see. So at least we didn't have that. But yeah, I totally love watching Verdum uh, grapple. I mean, he's one of the guys, rare guys that can make, you know, just watching like a BJJ tournament, some stuff really exciting for the non total jujitsu fans. I think a lot of MMA fans really appreciate the art form, but they wouldn't go out of their way to partake in it or watch a jujitsu tournament or something like that, except, you know, for BC, he makes it so impressive. And then, you know, we got our, uh, you know, co-main event, the UFC, uh, flyweight championship on the line, Mighty Mouse Johnson, Ray Borg. I just felt so bad for Ray Borg as like this fight kept going on. You realize he had absolutely no hope. And Mighty Mouse just kept putting it on him. Like, he literally sat on Ray Borg like six times in this. <laughs> like, that just really, to me, showed how how much of a mismatch there was and how much of a mismatch there is in this division. I mean, Mighty Mouse is just so quick. 
Like, literally, it's frightening how fast this guy is. And then the finish, I mean, my God, he went for a German suplex, and as he lifted Borg up in the air, he got a hold of the arm and arm-barred Ray Borg to come away with his title defense, his record-breaking title defense. And then the main event, which was just... I thought a really fun fight. Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee had Ferguson rocked in this first round, but he had the staff infection, uh, which Joe Rogan pointed out. And that really – and, you know, had the tough weight cut. And you could just see that that really affected him a lot as uh, Ferguson really changed the momentum of the fight in the second round and was able to get a submission uh, in the third. And, you know, happy for Tony Ferguson. This is a guy that always brings his lunch bucket, does – you know, takes on everyone that's put it in front of him, has had some bad luck with big fights and guys falling through like Khabib. Uh, so happy to see that he's now the interim champion called out Conor McGregor, called him McNuggets. Um, <laughs> don't know if he'll get the fight that he's looking for. I mean, the UFC seems that they're going to have to make this fight with McGregor and Ferguson, but I'm still of the belief we get the trilogy between Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. Yeah, I, I'm leaning your way as well. I think, I think that's, it, it just makes more it just makes more fiscal sense, you know, because they're trying to find the big fights, right? Like, that's what the whole thing is about is like, you know, 2015 and 2016 were such great years. And then now 2017 has been a dud of a year when it comes to business. And so they're, you know, they need to get some of those big fights. And, you know, the reason to let McGregor uh, face Mayweather, one, was because he wanted to do it. But two was because it just makes him that much of a bigger star. And if you're not going to take advantage of that, I think it's really foolish uh, to, to not do that. So in the meantime, you know, I think Ferguson can, uh, can do some stuff just, you know, talking and, and create and making himself a little bit of bigger star. Um, I don't know. I mean, facing K- Khabib though, that, that will be uh, tough, tough sledding. Uh, but the, the, the kind of the dark horse to me is Max Holloway, because I feel like, he more so than anybody else in in that in those weight classes is such a great baby face and he's got like the hometown thing for Hawaii um and and just it just feels like he can be the baby face to McGregor's heel and it wouldn't well, be forced and plus Connor's second UFC win is against Max Holloway and like they've so improved his fighters and personalities like you can see the growth from you know, fight two for both guys in the UFC to now, where one was, the, you know, Conor McGregor's now the biggest star in all of mixed martial arts, and Max Holloway was the guy that made, you know, the alleged greatest featherweight of all time look like he never belonged in the cage. Yep. So I think that makes it such an interesting fight as well. Uh, totally agree. I think Max Holloway, he just also comes off like, like your buddy that you want to be friends <laughs> exactly, with too. Exactly. So that that adds a lot to it. So I think it's it's I, I like the dark horse thinking. I've heard some people come across with that. Um, I mean, obviously Holloway's got to come up, you know, ten pounds or so. I don't think that's so much an issue. But I think also the fight we'd get to would be very competitive. Uh, but I mean, the UFC also may not make that because I think they realize the skill set that Holloway has, and he could just really make uh, McGregor look silly. The uh, the fight between McGregor and Ferguson I think would be fun, but I think there's a clear uh, there, there's a clear striking um, uh, difference. There's a clear difference in in the level of striking that each guy has. Uh, Ferguson is quirky, so he could make it kind of interesting. But Connor is just 
you know, his, his strikes and his, you know, not a lot of wasted motion. I, I think he would, he would get to him. But the thing that makes that fight interesting is, you know, Ferguson is going to try to get it to the ground as much as he can. Right. So that, that would be the struggle there. Um, but with Holloway, like it'd be such a fantastic striking battle. Like just watching these guys just box and kickbox would just be, would be something. I, I think, I think that would be great. I think it would be really good as well. Like, I mean, Connor hasn't fought an MMA fight in a long time. And I think, you know, even if Connor would have the advantage boxing on, say, on Tony Ferguson, Tony's a guy that can take a big amount of punishment and fight through it and then change the fight with just one shot to the body or one elbow to the jaw or something like that and and connor so far in his mma career once he's been in the deep water scenarios maybe except the the second diaz fight but you know the first diaz uh, fight i mean he got rocked and got tired and that was practically it and you know could have been the worst thing for him if they hadn't made the quick rematch and he showed a lot in that fight but um i think that that fight would be interesting it's just like tony ferguson is also a guy that is fantastic fighter improving on the microphone but doesn't have that sizzle that sells personality wise holloway has that and he's the impeccable fighter as well so uh i mean you can both go that both got these guys beat jose aldo and there's and you know their fight past history i mean there's a lot of story to sell on holloway versus mcgregor too if that's the fight they make all right before we get out of here who's going to be the first pro wrestler you see uh, do the the German suplex into the armbar like uh, Demetrius? Um, see, I'm thinking it's gonna be like a luchador. So I was thinking like Kalisto or something. I'm gonna go with Shayna. Yeah, Shayna. That could be true. I mean, she is signed. I mean, I could think Alistair Black as well. Hmm, that's an interesting but one. That would be an interesting one. Uh. Your boy Jeff Cobb, he could be one of them. I, I was, think, I was thinking about that too, but Jeff's so big now. I feel like he's like the, to, to transition like that, you know, so uh, so quickly. I, I don't know if he he wants to uh, to do that. He works such a slower style, a little bit more of a slower style now. But um, who was the other person that I was thinking of? Uh, oh, it's. Uh, Daniel Bryan, right? Like he's the one who retweeted the thing, and he was like, "Hmm, I need to, I need to think about using this as a finisher." So that 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 would be cool. And I, I saw some video of um, he's used something similar before, but I think it was, uh, I think he 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 had a suplex. What's the suplex where you kind of hook the guy's arms in the back and then you pull him over? Uh, a tiger suplex, uh, something like that. But he did that into the armbar in a match i think it was maybe against seth rollins or something so he's done stuff like that before but yeah that was so cool the the demetrius was just having like he was just like playing he was like creating stuff like as he was going to make it exciting but yeah that that was good stuff so um yeah so thanks for hanging out like this was kind of an impromptu thing uh thanks for being available tonight and uh so yeah so wait uh j uh haghome one is the twitter that is the Twitter. All right. Are you still doing stuff on YouTube? I uh, try to make the time to do it. Uh, it's just been pretty tough with work and then other broadcasting stuff on the sides. But, uh, you know, when I get the time, I mean, I, I like to still do it. 
and you're still and you're doing uh, I see you're doing um, you're doing sideline stuff or you're doing it. I know you're interviewing stuff, doing some interviewing. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of sideline stuff for the University of Wilfrid Laurier here for their football team who are, uh, as of right now, still number five in the country. And I expect them to stay there with their big, impressive victory on Thursday night. So, I mean, this is a it's a good football team looking to win the provincial championship and try to make that run for a national championship. They uh, last year had the biggest comeback in the trophies and the provincial championships, uh, 109 year history and, you know, had a tough going in their semifinal against Laval, who's like the best school in all of Canada for football. Uh, Anthony Eclair, who's now in the Tampa Buccaneers, was the tight end for that team last year. So I uh, should tell you just the depth of these Quebec schools. So, uh, yeah, doing a lot of stuff with them and. Uh, you know, uh, university hockey and basketball are getting started, so I'll be doing some play-by-play for that as well. Now, here's a question I've always wondered: do, uh-huh. do the do the schools use the Canadian football rules or the American football rules? Oh, Canadian. Okay. It's all Canadian. Got it. Got it. I mean, these these guys are also on the verge of getting drafted to play in the CFL, so kind of need to use those is, rules. Is there ever any crossover from the Canadian? Uh, college to to the nfl oh yeah there's a lot of uh canadians that make it like from these quebec schools it's mostly like offensive linemen uh there's one of the guys on the chiefs right now he's an offensive lineman for them he went to i think mcgill uh the packers signed a offensive lineman from manitoba uh David Omanyata was a defensive end for uh, Manitoba as well. He's on the New Orleans Saints. So Canadian schools are growing with with football. And as I mentioned before, Anthony Auclair. So there is a lot of talent here. It's just I think the stereotype that a lot of Americans and NFL have that, oh, Canadian football is just as good. I think it's a, a different brand and maybe even a slightly better version of football. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, well, they surely do not have the same issues as the NFL does. That's for sure. Well, uh, no. <laughs> all right. So thanks. Thanks to Jason. Um, I am double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.